Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 16. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 16. We're continuing with our series of the book of 2 Samuel covering the life and ministry of David. And as we go through the book of 2 Samuel, I want to remind you once again that the book of 2 Samuel is a book of consequences. That what it does is it traces the consequences from its initial action and carries them through. And through the book of 2 Samuel, we are painfully aware that sin has great consequences. That sin will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay and take you further than you ever wanted to go. And we're reminded that even the little sins can turn to have great consequences. And if there's one thing that we, maybe as Americans, have a hard time understanding is consequences. I mean, we can see big consequences, but you know, sometimes it's the little things that catch up to us. You have someone that has, has mismanaged finances. Those consequences will catch up one time or another. Someone who's had the habit of telling lies. Now they got to remember which lies they told to which person and the consequences will catch up. That we live in a place where it seems like our society wants to erase consequences. And because of that, most people are not thinking about consequences. They've been sheltered for consequences. And then when consequences hit them, they think that it's God's fault. When it wasn't God's fault. Consequences are natural effects. And by the way, there's consequences for bad actions and there's consequences for good actions. And both of them carry out. In the life of David, what we see is that David had one night in sin with Bathsheba. It was only meant to be a one night stand. One night. However, it didn't turn out to be one night because Bathsheba found out she was expecting and sent a message to David. David immediately went on cover-up mode and tried to cover up the scenario, tried to cover up the crime, tried to cover it up. And when that did not work, David, instead of getting right, murdered Uriah. That was a direct consequence of one night in sin. David stood and was not right with God for the nine months until the baby was born. After the baby was born, Nathan the prophet came and put his bony finger in, in front of the face of the king and said, Thou art the man. David, thankfully at that time, got right with God. And we see that in Psalm 51, which is David's prayer to God of getting right with God. However, just because you are forgiven of your sins, because you take care of that, does not erase the consequences. That at the same time that Nathan the prophet had addressed David, a fourfold judgment was pronounced upon David's life. That because there was death involved, David killed Uriah, that what's going to happen is that the sword would not leave the family of David. That was God's promise. That David, because he got right with God, David was spared from dying. However, the consequences remain. And the very first death that came was the death of the child of David and Bathsheba. Unfortunately, it did not go, 
stop there. That because of the actions that occurred there, it set off a scenario, it set off a circumstance, it set off uh, the consequences that Tamar, David's daughter, was raped by Amnon, David's son. That led to the death of Amnon as Absalom took revenge over his sister's uh, defilement. This is going to lead to where David had refused to do anything about Absalom. He refused to punish. He refused to do anything. And so for 10 years they were a stalemate where Absalom finally began to capture the hearts of the people and he began a full-fledged rebellion against David. And during this time is where we're at, is Absalom's rebellion, one of the darkest periods in David's life. And during the time of the hardest places of our life, that's when people around us will expose themselves. People that we thought were trusted friends will show themselves not to be trusted friends. People who are true friends will come out to the forefront and they will present themselves. And what we see in the passage of 2 Samuel during this time is individuals who pop up and will show themselves and their true character. And we've already been exposed to several people like Itta and <coughs> Hushai. We've been exposed to Zadok. And that we've been exposed to Ziba, the deceptive servant who was a part of Mephibosheth. Now we're exposed to another person inside of David's life whose character is revealed during the lowest part of David's life. If you don't mind, let's read about him in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 16. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter 16, and let's pick it up in verse number 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5, or chapter 16 and verse 5, the word of God says this, And when King David came to Barum, behold, thence came out of a man under the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and all of the servants of the king David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out thou bloody man and thou man of Belial. And the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, and whose stead thou hath reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zerah, unto the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerah? Let him curse, because the Lord hath said to him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore thou hast, <laughs> hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all of his servants, Behold, my son which came forth from my bowels seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do to it? Let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. And it may be that the Lord will look upon mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along the hillside over against him, and cursed him as he went, and threw stones at him, and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary, refreshed themselves there. 
And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, when you highlight the man's name who we're going to be speaking about today, and we see him mentioned in verse number five, his name is Shimei. And if you don't mind, notice as it describes Shimei and his actions in verse number five, we see Shimei, then notice this phrase, cursed still, cursed still. So here we see the character study of Shimei and see in the Bible as it says he cursed still, we'll just summarize it as Shimei cursing the king. Shimei cursing the king. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to this portion of scripture, we all see that David had some good times and he had some bad times. And they were all part of his life, things that he went through. As we study the idea of Shimei, let us see his life, take it into examination, and see the lessons that we can learn from this man's life that we may apply to our own self, that we could be warned, that we could guard our own hearts, that we could look and evaluate ourselves. Again, fill me with your precious spirit. Thank you for everyone that's here this morning. And we're asking that you would give them a special blessing and help them to take a realistic look of their own selves. They would examine these things and compare them and let you do the work and let you speak to hearts. And in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, to say that David is having a bad time is an understatement. That David was surprised as much as anyone else when his son Absalom put up this rebellion. That Absalom had been winning the hearts of the people. He set up a big conspiracy, put people in place. And now people are announcing that, behold, Absalom reigneth in in the city of Hebron. David heard about this and immediately knew he was in trouble and has gathered his family, gathered his troops, gathered his people, and they have fled the city of Jerusalem. As he has fled, he is approached by several different people. He's approached by Ittai, Zadok, and Hushai. All of them coming to David and said, David, how can we help? He was approached by Zibiah, who lied. And because David didn't have the, the time or the inclination to investigate the matter, had stolen the property and the estates and the inheritance from Mephibosheth, who was an innocent victim. And now as David is traveling across the country of Benjamin, he is now accosted by someone who hated his guts. If you don't mind, the very first thing I'd like to do and show you in this is that Shimei's day of grace. Shimei's day of grace. Notice with me as we pick it back up in verse number five. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out of a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And he came forth, and notice this phrase, and cursed still. Now this is an important phrase because this phrase has the idea that Shimei had already been cursing God, and he, or cursing David, and he is continuing to curse David at this moment. So what this meant is that Shimei had already been in the habit of cursing David. So you could imagine that David becomes the throne. And Shimei had to gather his friends around. Maybe if they're the local tavern. I can't trust this leader. Oh, you know, he's going to mess up. We're going to, he's going to prove. I, you can't trust him at all. And he'd already been cursing his leader. Heard he'd been cursing out his king. And in front of public, getting his friends about David, maybe when he brought back the, um, the uh, Ark of the, the uh, 
Ark of the Covenant and brought it to Jerusalem. David is doing it out of a pure heart, but maybe Shimei and his friends are saying, yeah, David's doing his only political stunt. He's trying to fool people to try to tell them how good he is. He's already been cursing them. When David sinned with Bathsheba and it was finally made public, he says, ha, I knew that scandal would catch up. I knew he would prove his colors. I told you you couldn't trust him. And he was just waiting to see what else was going to come out in David's Twitter account. I mean, he was just trying to see what else he could find to criticize his leader. To find, he was already in the habit of looking for anything and everything that would come up that he could find to get criticized. And now David is walking through. He's not walking through as a triumphant king. He's walking through as a defeated leader. Broken. And Shimei is there because he feels emboldened. What's David going to do? He's defeated. Look at him now with his head hanging down. His tail between his legs. Shimei felt emboldened. Now that it looked like his leader was weakened to go ahead and attack And curse him publicly. Notice this occurs. He cursed him still. In verse number uh, 6. And he that Shimei cast stones at David. Can you imagine this? King David is walking by. Maybe he's on his his donkey. Maybe his troops are just kind of walking by. Can you imagine how heartbroken they are. As they're just kind of shambling. And all of a sudden. From a hilltop. You dog. You son of Belial, you pathetic loser. And as they start looking around, all of a sudden a rock sails and hits David in the face. And then another rock. And more noise comes and Shimei's just yelling at him, tossing rocks, throwing them at everyone. You, you, you're a David supporter. That's what you get. And he's doing everything he can to cause a racket To curse David, making a public scene, yelling at everything that is going on. (coughs) Notice if you don't mind, (coughs) in verse number 5. And when King David came to Barah, behold there came thence a man of David of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And he came forth and cursed still as he came. And as he cast stones, and at all of the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus Shimei, when he cursed, come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. He's challenging David. Come on, what are you going to do about it? That's what I thought. You're weak and you're pathetic. He's challenging him. He's yelling at him. He's pretty emboldened now as David's just hanging his head and walking by. Then he calls him something interesting. He said, curse it thou, thou son of Belial. Now for a believer in those days, Belial would be the enemy. He's the devil. He said, David, you're son of a devil. I knew that you weren't for God. I knew you weren't. I just knew it was a matter of time. That was probably one of the worst insults you could give to David to tell him that he wasn't a true believer. Instead, he had been following Satan the whole time. And he's yelling, making public statements, throwing rocks, throwing a big thing. And verse number 8, he continues on. And the Lord returned thee of all the blood of the house of Saul. He's still bitter because uh, Saul is dead. Remember, who killed killed, um, Saul? It wasn't David. It was the Philistines. But here Shimei is blaming David for killing Saul. 
for killing Jonathan, for killing the house of Saul. He's blaming David and he's yelling about it. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, and whose stead thou hast reigned. The Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in mischief, because thou art a bloody man. He's publicly telling everyone, it's David's fault that Saul's dead. No, it was Saul's fault that Saul was dead. It wasn't David's doing to become king. David didn't do anything to lift his finger to become king. But yet, here's Shimei making a public spectacle, telling lies, twisting the truth, and trying to convince everyone that David was in the wrong. Publicly outcry. He's throwing rocks. And remember, he's not just hitting David, but he's hitting all of these other people. And now I remind you who these other people are. These are David's mighty men. These are David's trusted men who who just one of them by themselves could kill and has killed 800 Philistines. These are men who are expert in battle. Notice as we see what is going on in verse number 9. And then Abishai, the son of Zerah. Now remember, son of Zerah had three kids. We had Abishai, who was part of David's mighty men. You had uh, Ashiel, who had died before uh, in the civil war between Abner and David. And then you have David's general, Joab. So this is of this family here. This is Joab's brother who's traveling with him. And Abishai's looking at him. Remember, Abishai was the one when they were traveling with uh, Saul. And Abishai said, David, David, there's Saul right there. Let me take his spear and I'll stab him dead. I, I only need one hit. That's all I need. Abishai's ready to go put him down. And David said, what do I do with you? Between you and Joab. And you guys want to just kill everyone. You guys, this is not the time to go kill everyone. But he's ready to go. You know that at David's command, Shimei would not be cursing anyone because he would be dead. Abishai says, why does he do that to the king? Just give me permission. I'll take care of him. He won't curse you again. You know, Shimei had no clue that his, his life was hanging in a balance. He was literally living off of David's grace. David is the one who gave him grace. He had cursed David. He had lied against David. He is publicly slandering David. He has done everything against David. He's throwing rocks against David. He should have been put to death and his servants were ready to go take care of business. The only reason, the only reason why Shimei was left alive is because David gave him grace. You know, Shimei had no clue how close to death he truly was. He had no clue that people were begging to put him to death. He was that close because he had cursed his king. He was worthy of death and very close to it. Notice as it goes on. Verse number 9 again. Abishai, the son of Zorah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog... Abishai had already said, This guy's dead in his mind. He just wanted to back it up physically. But he's already dead. This dead dog, curse the Lord, the king. Let me go over and pray thee. Take off his head. And the king said, what do I have to do with you, you sons of Zorah? Let him curse. Because the Lord had said unto them, curse David. Who should then say, therefore, wherefore thou hast done so? And David said to Abishai and to his servants, behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more shall this Benjamite do? Let him alone. And let him curse 
for the Lord hath bidden him. Now let me pause here. David is saying, hey, my son has set up a rebellion. What's this guy going to do that Absalom hasn't already hurt me with? I'm already hurting. This guy is not, it's not even on my radar. I'm brokenhearted because of what happened over here. But notice this, David says, and, and verse number 12, and it may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. Notice the faith that David had. He said, you know what? I believe this is a test. Shimmy, I could do whatever he wants, but God is testing me to see how I'm going to respond when people curse against me. When people misuse me, when people are abusing me, when people are doing something that I think is against me, how am I going to respond? He says, that's what God is watching me right now. That's a powerful lesson in itself. David is saying, God is allowing this guy to curse to see how I'm going to respond. How I'm going to respond. You know how you respond is very, very important. There may be some times that God allows some hardships in your life. He may allow people to mistreat you just to see if you're going to respond properly. If you're going to get the poochy lip disease and say, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'll eat some worms, woohoo. We get to the uh, pity party disease when you get to the place where, oh, poor me, oh, look how people are mistreating me. He says, you know what, I'm going to accept that this is from the Lord. And God is trying to see how I'm going to respond. And if I respond properly, I'm going to trust that God is going to reward me in kind. Will I respond properly to this? Boy, things would change if we looked at it that way, rather than everyone hates me. Look beyond the circumstances and look above the circumstances. Say, you know what? I can trust God. I can even trust God when people are wrong. How am I going to respond? Well, of course, we see this little segment that David is leaving, defeated, he's broken, his darkest day, and Shimei takes very much pleasure, feels very much emboldened. But this is not the end of the story. We're going to fast forward, and we see that David does win the day. Absalom is defeated. David is back, going back to Jerusalem to reestablish his throne. David has come back. And boy, let me tell you, when the Lord comes back, everybody's... Uh, Attitude will change quite drastically. There's one thing that about Jesus being the suffering Savior. That Jesus came the first time, he came to die. But when he comes the second time, he's coming back to rule. And that is a different dynamic. Notice if you don't mind, as David now returns to Jerusalem. And let's see how this responds. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19. The 2 Samuel chapter number 19 and verse number 15. 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse number 15. Now it's one thing when David is on the ropes. It's one thing when it looks like David is losing. It's one thing when everyone else is pouncing on David. And it looks like everyone's trying to find a conspiracy or report. Everyone's looking to find out how David is messed up. Everyone is looking. It's another thing when David cleared of all charges. It's another thing when David is coming back triumphant. And he's coming back to take his place. And see how people respond when 
when David is winning. Notice, if you don't mind, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19. And we can see, again, the different attitudes of people from David when he was leaving from when David is coming back. Notice with me in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 19. And let's pick it up in verse number 15. 2 Samuel chapter 19 verse 15. So the king returned and came to Jordan. And Judah came to Gilead to meet the king. And to conduct the king over Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, was with Bahuram, Hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. The second thing I want to show you, the first thing I showed you was Shimei's day of grace. That he didn't know how close he was to losing his life. The only way he, reason why he was living is because the king gave him grace. The second thing we see is Shimei's false profession. Shimei's false profession. So Shimei hears the king is coming back and the king has won. And so immediately he rushes up and he needs to make things right with David. Because David's probably not going to treat him the same way as he was getting out. He realizes, I probably need to cover myself now. Ah, the king's coming back. So he rushes over. He leaves his town, goes over to the Jordan River where everyone is greeting David as he's victoriously coming back into the land. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 17. And there was a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Zibiah, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and 20 servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king. And there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do with what he th thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he came over Jordan. So the king comes over. You can imagine this ferry boat that has David and his household, all of his goods. They're coming back over the Jordan River. And Shimei gets in the front of the crowd and he falls down on his face as David's boat is landing. <clears throat> Verse number 19. And said to the king, Let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me, neither thou remember that which the servant did perversely the day that the Lord the king went out of Jerusalem, and that the king should take it to heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come the first this day of all of the house of Joseph to go and meet my lord the king. But Abishai the son of Zerah answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What do I have to do with you, sons of Zerah, this day? Uh, ye should this day be adversaries unto me. Shall there not be any man put to death this day in Israel? For I do not know that I am king over Israel. Therefore the king said to Shimei, Thou shalt not die. And the king swear unto him. So we can see this big deal coming up. That Shimei realizes the king's coming and the king's victorious. He realizes that he's not in a good position. And so he comes to cover his own self. And I want you to notice this false profession. Notice exactly what Shimei does. The very first thing is he bows before the king. Everything he's doing outwardly looks correct. He bows before the king, verse 18. And there went out a ferry boat to carry over the king's household to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king. And he was come over before Jordan. So he comes and he bows before the king. He actually falls down on his face. Humbles himself before the king. And he bows down in honor to him. He bows down to him. 
Notice the second thing that he does. Verse number 20, he admits that he's a sinner. He admits that he's a sinner. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned, and so therefore I've come. But he admits that he's a sinner. So he bows before the king, and he admits that he's a sinner. Well, this is sounding good, doesn't it? It sounds like he should be doing what he, exactly what he should be doing. Bows down before the king. He makes a, a, a profession that he's a sinner. And then he desires for the king to forgive and forget. He desires for the king to forgive and to forget. Notice with me in verse 19. And said to the king, let my Lord not impute iniquity unto me, neither do thy remember what thy servant perversely did that day when the Lord, the king, went out of Jerusalem. That is, the king should take it to his heart. So he says, I desire that the king, I'm a sinner, and now I want you to forgive me, and then forget it ever happened. Again, this sounds good. It sounds like he's doing one, two, three, pray after me. He's coming to the idea that, yes, I sinned, I messed up. But the problem is, is that he has made a profession without having a possession. There's one thing with saying words, but that doesn't mean that you're saved. Shimei was sorry that his sin was found out. If David wasn't returning, he would have never repented. He would have never made a profession. He would have been, ah, ha, ha, ha. The only reason why he's doing something now is to give him fire insurance, to give him protection. You understand that many people try to do different things in order to put on a show. Some people show up to church and they try to say, well, if I show up to church, maybe God will do this for me. Some people say, well, I have a Bible, and sometimes I'll even open it up. That doesn't mean anything. Some people say, well, I'm a member of a church. Well, praise the Lord, but that doesn't mean anything. Some people may say, well, I said a prayer. May I tell you that a prayer doesn't save you? Jesus saves you. What you do when you pray and ask for forgiveness is you're giving Jesus permission to pay that price for you. But there are no magic words that you have to say in order to be saved. Salvation is a matter of the heart. There are some people who have tried to do everything they could on the outside. But it is a change of heart. You must be born again. Jesus took time to talk to Nicodemus about this in John chapter 3. Where he said, verily, verily, ye must be born again. You have to have two births. He goes on to explain to Nicodemus that you have to have a physical birth and a spiritual birth. You have to have two birthdays. That in order to go to heaven, in order to have your forgiveness of sins, it's not saying words. It's being reborn. You say, okay, well, I, I don't want to be confused. What, what do you mean by this, preacher? Well, we do understand there are some things that we have to realize. That first of all, that heaven is a real place, and that heaven is perfect. That's why we want to go there. In heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It's perfect. The problem is, is that none of us are perfect. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3, it says, for all have sinned that comes short of the glory of God. It follows up and says, for there is none righteous, 
No, not one. And so we agree with what Shimei said. I sinned. I messed up. I'm a sinner. But we also have to realize that because of my sin, I owe God a debt. I owe God hell. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is something we earn. Sin is something we've done against God. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Because I broke one of God's Ten Commandments, I owe God death. I deserve to die. I deserve an awful place called hell. You understand that in order to be saved, you have to have something to be saved from. Someone who does not believe that they deserve to go to hell, there's nothing to save them from. Someone who doesn't believe they're a sinner, there's nothing to save them from. May I give an example? There's a time that I knocked on someone's door, and this happens quite often, but I'll knock on someone's door and say, I'm Pastor Bockhouse from the Riverview Baptist Church, and I'm just going around the neighborhood trying to find a way to be a blessing to you, uh, see if there's anything I can do to pray for you. And so they'll give me some prayer requests and praise the Lord. Then I'll say, you know, one of my favorite questions in all the world to ask is, are you 100% sure if you die today that you would go to heaven? And some people will say, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And I said, praise the Lord. There's not a lot of people know for sure. What if I was to follow up the question and say, if Jesus himself met you outside the gates of heaven and said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? And some people give some different answers. For example, a common one that I get up in this neck of the woods is some people say, I know I'm going to heaven because I've kept the Ten Commandments. Well, praise the Lord. I haven't met anybody who's met the Ten Commandments. I said, Praise the Lord. I followed up the question. I said, can you name the Ten Commandments? Well, if you said you kept them, you should know them, right? And he kind of looked at me and says, I can't remember. I said, okay, that's fine. I love to help people out. I love to study the Bible. I said, one of the Ten Commandments is to, <laughs> that thou shall not bear false witness. We would say it like this, don't tell lies. I said, have you ever told a lie? Kind of looked down and said, Yeah. Okay, well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Let's try another one. The Bible says to honor thy father and thy mother. We would say it like this, to obey your folks. I said, have you ever broken that commandment? He looked down and said, yeah. And so what we're trying to say is that that doesn't work. You know what the Ten Commandments are there for? The Ten Commandments, the Bible says in the book of Galatians, is our schoolmaster. They tell us where we failed at. No one can keep the Ten Commandments. In fact, next to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you should put in big, bold boxcar letters, I need Jesus. Because what the Ten Commandments tell us is that none of us can meet up to that standard. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, as I followed up with the guy, I explained with him, do you know what the uh, penalty of breaking the Ten Commandments are? And he kind of looked at me and said, I, I'm not sure. Well, according to the Bible, to break one of the Ten Commandments, the penalty is death. You deserve to die. He goes, whoa. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. And the Bible repeats that in the New Testament, in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And I said, what the Bible says is that, that the answer is you must be born again. He said, I've never heard of that before. I said in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a religious leader by Nicodemus.
And Nicodemus is a religious leader and he's been teaching for a while. And he didn't want to see any of his friends see him talking to Jesus. So he snuck to Jesus in the middle of the night. And he says, Jesus, I've been hearing you talk about these things. Can I ask you some questions? And Jesus said, verily, verily, that means truly, truly, ye must be born again. Well, Nicodemus scratched his old silver head and said, I don't get it. He says, I'm old. It's not like I could crawl back into mom. How does this work out? And Jesus explained that you have to have two births. You have to have a physical birth. And if you're alive, by the way, you had a birth, right? We have some kids in here. Josh, if you went up to your mom and said, Mom, was I born? First of all, she would laugh at you and say, of course you were. But mom, how do you know I was born? She could go, I was there. And she could give you a time and a place where you were born. But mom, how do you know that I'm alive right now? She could pinch you and say, do you feel that? You're alive. There's evidence, right? Well, just as real as your first birth is, your second birth is just as real. There was a time and a place, there was an event that occurred for you to be born. It wasn't a process, it was an event. You were not born, and then you were born. You weren't almost born for like four months. It was a, there was a t period where you were officially born. Well, the same thing is true about being born again. To be born again, you recognize that you're a sinner, because of your sin that you've offended a holy, righteous God. And then that because of that, you deserve hell. But you also realize that Jesus is your only way of forgiving, or your only way to get forgiveness of sins, your only way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Then you personally accept Jesus as your Savior. And remember, it's not the words that saves you, it's Jesus that saves you. But when Jesus Christ comes to live inside of your heart, you now become a new creature. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 explains that. We become a new creature. The Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to dwell inside of me and he becomes a part of me. I become regened, regenerated. I become a new creature. God now moves inside of me and he'll never move out. And if something as big as God moves in something as small as my heart, there's going to be some changes. And so it's not just saying some words. It's inviting Jesus Christ in and he comes in and he changes you. And there will be changes. Those changes will be evident. For example, when we had Mr. Josh say, Mom, how do you know I was born? And she pinched him and said, there, you're alive. There's evidences that someone is born again. The book of 1 John covers those. We could cover that later on if you're curious. But there is evidence that you are born again. There is proof. And the Bible does that for the purpose that you shouldn't have to hope or guess or think. I know that I know that I know I have Jesus Christ. I know that I am born again because I see the evidence of it. The evidence makes proof that I was born. When a baby is born, there's evidence that he exists. And just as real as the first birth, the second birth is just as real. So maybe I could say this. Instead of asking, did you ever say a prayer? I'm going to ask a legitimate question. Has there ever been a time where you were born again? Is there ever a time, maybe you not, may not remember the same exact date 
But you should remember the details because it was an event. Do you remember what you were at? Who was you talking to? Was there something you remember? Because it was an event. There was something about it. A time and a date. Somewhere, something that went along those times where you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That event that led afterwards that there was evidence, proof that that event occurred. You see, many people have made a profession. I pastored in the South for a long time. And in the South, there was a lot of people who recognized that Jesus is their Savior. They recognized that they deserve to go to hell, but they're not saved because they've never personally accepted Christ as their Savior. They miss heaven, some people say, by 18 inches. That's the difference between here and here, between your head and your heart. That they have an intellectual knowledge, but they've never personally applied it. They never personally accepted Christ as their Savior. What Shimei is up here is saying some words. And of course, David doesn't know the hearts. He's just taking Shimei at his word. He made a profession. All I can do is try to believe that his profession is true. But God knows the hearts. You could go up to a preacher and say, can I say a prayer? That doesn't necessarily mean you're saved. You could say a little prayer on your own. You could follow a TV evangelist, whatever it is. A prayer doesn't save you. It's Jesus that saves you. When Jesus comes to come inside of your heart, he dwells within you. And if something as big as God comes and moves and sound of your heart, it could be changed. So what we're trying to say is that someone can make a profession and not have a possession. They do not possess Jesus Christ. Shimei said the right words. He bowed before the king. He admitted that he was a sinner. And he asked the king to forgive and to forget. Those were the right things to say. But his heart behind it was not right. He was trying to get fire insurance. Without possessing Jesus Christ. So how does this story end up? How does a preacher like me have the audacity to say, Shimei was not saved? Because there's evidence of it. If you don't mind, turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. And let's see the third part of Shimei's life that the scriptures reveal. That we start off and see that he had a day of grace. Then there was a time that he made a false profession. But then we see Shimei's faith is proven. The first of first Kings, sorry, I said Second Kings, First Kings chapter number two. The book of Second Kings chapter two. <coughs> Shimei is going to be tested. And by the way, anyone who is saved is going to have evidence. It's going to be put to the test to see if you're true. Oftentimes, God will shake us in our salvation. He's not trying to make us doubt our salvation. He's trying to nail it down a mile deep. And so there's times that you're shaken. And to see, are you truly trusting in Jesus Christ? Notice, if you don't mind, as Shimei's faith is going to be tested, notice with me, as David is now passing the scene, a new king is now on the throne. 2 Kings chapter 2. And notice with me, let's start out in verse number 8. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 8. David is giving instructions to Solomon to carry out some last-minute business. In verse number 8, And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, Benjamite of Bahurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day that I went to Mahanam. 
But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear by him, by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him, but his whore head bring thou to the grave with blood. And so David's giving last minute instructions. And David had made a promise to Shimei that he wasn't going to retaliate. But during this time, Shimei has already been up to his old tricks. Back to cursing David. Back to his old lifestyle. And David has heard about it. And he's telling David, hey, or telling Solomon, you need to take care of him. He's going to be a problem. So Solomon, who by the way was very wise, decided to put some borders around Shimei. Let's pick it up now in verse number 37 or 36. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 36. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Build thee a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and go not forth thence any whither. For it shall be on the day that thou goest out and passeth over the brook Kidron, that thou shalt know for certain that thou shalt surely die. Thy blood shall be upon thine own head. So Solomon gives him clear instructions. You build a house here in Jerusalem. You're free to dwell in Jerusalem. But once you leave the borders of the city, you're dead. Shimei, in verse 38, And Shimei said unto the king, The saying is good, as my lord the king hath said, so will thy servant do. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. So Shimei dwells in Jerusalem. He agrees to the terms. He understood clearly what the king said, and he heard it. And so for a while he carries through. But then it was tested, verse 39. And it came to pass at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shimei ran away unto Achish, the son of Manan, king of Gath. And they said to Shimei, Behold, thy servants be in Gath. And Shimei arose and saddled his ass and went to Gath, to Achish, to seek his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and was come again. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Did I not make thee swear by the Lord and protested thee, saying, Know for a certain on the day that thou goest out, walkest out any whither that thou shalt surely die? And thou sayest unto me, Thy word that I have heard is good. Why then hast thou not kept the oath of the Lord with the commandment that I have charged thee with? And the king said moreover to Shimei, Thou knowest all the wickedness which thine heart is privy to, that thou didst to David thy father. Therefore the Lord shall return thy wickedness upon thine own head. And the king Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jodea, which went out and fell upon him, and he died. And the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So <laughs> everything was hunky-dory for a while, and then Shimei was tested. He broke the borders, took off, and he had a legitimate excuse, but he broke the commandment that he agreed to. When he came back, Solomon said, Nope, I gave you this opportunity. You wasted it. It's over and done with. And he was put to death. Now, we all know that's a physical accounting. As we talk about the idea of dwelling in the heart, the Bible says another New Testament thing. Turn with me to one last passage, if you don't mind, as we wrap this up. The book of 1 John, chapter number 2. 
the book of 1 John chapter 2. Now remember, I made reference to 1 John earlier. 1 John is a book written for the purpose that people can know that they have eternal life. It is evidence of what Christ has done inside of our heart. It is proof. And with that proof, notice what the Bible says concerning this idea. That there are some people that can make a profession but not have a possession. Notice with me in the book of 1 John chapter 2. And let's notice in verse number 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now, present tense, there are many antichrist whereby we know it is the last time. Let's pause there. The word antichrist is not talking about a person in this passage. It's talking about the spirit of antichrist. And to define our term, the word anti does not mean against. The word anti means to replace. In this last days, there are many things that replace Christ. So instead of having Christ himself, instead of having Jesus, it is replaced with something else. Some people have replaced having a possession of Christ with a prayer. Some people have possessed uh, a possession of Christ and replaced it with church membership or calling themselves a Christian or fill in the blank. The only thing that matters is possessing Christ. But the Bible says that in the last day there are going to be many things that people have replaced Christ with. Now notice the result of it. Someone who has not truly possessed Christ but has replaced it with something else. Verse 19. They went out from us. So these people who had made a profession but not a possession. They went out from us but they were not of us. If they had been of with us or of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out that they might be men made manifest or made apparent that they were not of all of us. The Bible says there's going to be a trial. Eventually there's going to be something that is going to reveal if someone truly possessed Christ or if it was just lip service. And when that happens, you may be surprised. Who has stayed with us and said, I'm going to follow after Christ? And who said, ah, you know what? I'm not going to church no more. I tried it for a while. And by the way, people do do that. Maybe I could say a name that you may be familiar with. A man by the name of John Lennon. There was a time that the former Beatle tried Christianity for a while. He put it on and I'm going to try this out. You don't try Christianity. You accept Christ as your Savior and become born again. It's not something that you try at. But John Lennon tried at it for a while. And it didn't suit his needs. So he turned to astrology. And he got to the place where he would read his charts and star charts. And he wouldn't go outside unless the star chart said it was good for him to go out. And he lived his life in bondage. And a horrible thing under that, that, that bondage of astrology. What happened is that people were excited. Oh, look, he, he said he's a Christian. Yay, look at him. But it revealed that he truly wasn't try, accepting Christ. Those type of things will be revealed, whether they were trying Christ, whether it's proven. And what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to give you encouragement. I'm trying to help someone out. Because there may be someone in here that you said a prayer, but there's been no change in your life. There's been no evidence 
You say, but I'm a member of a church. Praise the Lord. It's good to be a member of a church, but that doesn't mean anything. But my parents were Christians. Well, praise the Lord. I'm thankful for that heritage, but that doesn't mean that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean your sins are forgiven. Well, I read the Bible. Praise the Lord. Reading the Bible is a wonderful thing, but that doesn't mean that you're forgiven of your sins. Do you possess Christ? That is evidence to the place where it is showing up in your life. Again, I love you so much. The most horrible thing that could ever happen is for someone to leave a service in here and die and go to hell. That would be horrible. Because I don't want that to happen. I have to warn everyone. I don't know your hearts. You could have been in this church longer than I have and not be saved. I've seen too many preachers get saved, too many deacons get saved. They all need saved, by the way. Uh, Sunday school teachers, song leaders, people have been part of a church for years and years and years who have never possessed Christ. I don't take it for granted that anyone is saved. So I have to give a warning here. It's not, did you make a profession? It's not, did you do religious activities? Did you belong to church? Was you part of catechism? Did you take mass? I'm asking, are you born again? Has there been a time where you've accepted Christ as your savior and he's changed you? It may not be big changes, but there's some changes. There's something inside of you. I'm begging you, I don't want to see an awful place go to that awful place go to hell. I don't want someone to go and say, I'm all right, I'm all right, and you're not all right. Has there been a time in your life where you've been born again? We're not talking about Baptist doctrine or Methodist doctrine or Catholic or Lutheran or whatever. We're talking about what does the Bible say? Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye must be born again. Maybe you say, preacher, I don't quite know what you're talking about. Let me tell you in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And in this invitation, we invite anyone who wants to talk to the Lord to talk to the Lord. I want to invite you that if you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, it would be my great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible, not my thoughts, not my opinions, but from the Bible, how you can know without a doubt, know 100% sure that your sins are forgiven, that heaven's your home, and that you're born again. It'd be my great privilege. I don't want to see a single person go out saying, I just don't know for sure. I'm wondering. I think I'm all right, but I'm not sure. I want it to be nailed down a mile deep that you know, that you know, that you know that you have eternal life. Someone may say, well, I don't think anyone can know. Well, there's a Bible verse for that. The Bible says in 1 John, again, 1 John again, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. God wants you to know that you know that you know. He doesn't want you to hope. He doesn't want you to guess. He doesn't want you to think. He wants you to know that you know that you know. And I want you to know for sure from the Bible how you know what the Bible says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye must be born again. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.